The Unclaimed Podcast is meant for listeners of all ages where we sometimes hold difficult conversations that we feel kids shouldn't be left out of. In this episode, we talk about school shootings, so listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome to The Unclaimed of Percy Jackson Activism Podcast, where we connect pop culture, literature, and media with real-world activism, brought to you by Youth Activism Project and Mosaic. I'm Amina. I'm the Mission Engagement Lead at Youth Activism Project, a nonprofit organization that supports teens to mobilize change within their communities through policy advocacy and community organizing. And I'm Obsi Abibi. I'm one of the youth leaders at Youth Activism Project. And I am Anika Mansoor. I'm one of the co-founders of the Youth Activism Project. So Anika and Obsi, would you guys like to explain a little bit more about Youth Activism Project and Mosaic so that listeners can better understand the type of work that we do? And can you also share a little bit about your stories of getting involved with activism? Yeah, sure. I think I could start off. So Youth Activism Project, which is also known as YAP, um, at its most fundamental level is an incubator for youth activism. And we have like this diverse team of young, experienced activists and adult allies from various niches in the advocacy world, ranging from like education equity to criminal justice reform, who all train young people with movement building, leadership and advocacy skills. The hope is through our work, we're able to turn youth activism into the norm, not the exception, and to encourage young people from all over the world to impact you know their government with various pieces of policy that they want passed and other change that they wish to see happen um and a little bit about me um i would say i it's funny because even before i knew about yap i felt like i kind of was a part of yap at a young age because i really was exactly what yap tries to build um i was a young person with you know a lot of pain that they held due to societal injustices and a lot of hope for a better future. And that started in middle school for me, where I was essentially um, really impacted by the Parkland shooting. It was the first time that shootings had really, really like hit home for me and made me realize it's not just some far away distant thing. It's something that can happen to me, my friends, my family, anytime. And it was hard to hear that, especially as an immigrant. You know, my parents came to this country for a better safer life and to have to be at the dinner table with them and watch the news and see them realize that everything they sacrificed to come here was not essentially fruitless but questionable because you know safety was just not the standard even at school and so from there um, a group of friends and I who had similar you know pain really just came together to orchestrate a school walkout and assembly that served as a real healing moment for our community and students even gave speeches and read um, spoken poem to essentially help them voice everything that they were experiencing during the Parkland um, shooting and all the news after and then from there I really just expanded into other lobbying opportunities testifying opportunities um, and branching into other things such as gender inequity um, criminal justice reform um, and pretty much anything that impacted my identity in a way that I just couldn't ignore anymore or impacted those around me and my community members um, in a way that I also just couldn't ignore and wanted to do my best to be you know any sort of ally that I could so yeah Oopsie can you actually talk a little bit more about how you as a youth activist 
is best equipped to support other activists in the work that we do at YAP? Yeah, I think I kind of like touched on that too, just because I am essentially the demographic that Youth Activism Project tries to not only work with but empower. I was also able to empower others because I very keenly understood, you know, the stress of like a long night of me being on like a Google spreadsheet trying to coordinate, you know, how many students were taking to this protest and like how many and like the responses we've gotten from administration about this walkout. Um, and essentially, like I've been in the role of young activists who are trying to coordinate all of these very technical movements and I know the stress of it especially doing it alone and so that really motivated me to be the one to reach out to young to young activists through youth activism project and say you're not alone and here are some more efficient resources that you can use and here's like some training um but I feel like because I know all of those experiences very well as someone who's gone through it and also as a young person and not you know and not to say that adult allies aren't great. It's just, I think when you're in the perspective of someone who's young and you also have been tokenized for your youth activism, it's easier for you to connect with other youth activists who may not feel the most supported in advocacy, which kind of is like adult dominated space um, until, you know, recent years where youth have really expanded. Um, But essentially that experience and then the also like similar levels of tokenized, similar feelings of being tokenized, um, help me really connect with these youth and allow them to use Youth Activism Project as like this stepstone to achieving whatever change they want to see in their community. Yeah, I mean, just really quickly on on those points that Opsi just shared before I share a little bit more about myself and our another initiative that we're working on at YAP called Mosaic, like a big problem in this world is undervaluing young people. And I really feel like, you know, I've been involved in youth activism. I was one of the co-founders of Youth Activism Project at the age of 12. And I learned at that really young age that, um, or I thought at that at, at, at 12 that my voice didn't really matter. It was only until the founder of the Youth Activism Project, Wendy Lesko, shout out to Wendy, um, kind of brought my friends and I together and asked us, a very specific question. She raised awareness um, with our group about the girls' education crisis in the global South. Um, and Mina and I were were siblings, by the way. So um, we both are from Bangladesh. And that was like an, an issue that seemed to impact my life. But I probably wouldn't have done anything about it if Wendy didn't ask us if we wanted to be quote unquote architects to address that injustice. And I remember in my 12-year-old brain being like, adults never talk to me that way. Like, it's kind of nice to just have an adult who like levels with you and just like is not dumbing down their language or like think you can't like keep up with them, you know? And so that's really kind of, that was the moment I think that just started me like discovering my civic voice and my civic power. And now I'm like basically 20 years away from that and just seeing it all as an adult and just for 20 these past 20 years of me doing activism, really realizing that um, oppression against young people is is a real oppression. Like we don't talk about it, but it is, right? And so that's really why YAP is so focused, as Opsi was saying, on young people helping young people, like other young activists who had these experiences because they're best equipped to help each other navigate. I don't know, Opsi, if you wanted to add anything to that before I go into my spiel. No, yeah, spot on. I think just to that whole point about like 
the oppression of young people, it is, I think it's really subtle in the sense that when I was saying tokenization earlier, I meant like all those instances where as young people, we have gone to like a town hall or a, um, like a testifying opportunity and we're given like, you know, our allotted time to speak and where the legislators take pictures with us, everyone's smiling, everything's happy and great. And then absolutely no change happens. Um, and yet we're posted on their like official um, like county council page. And it's like, look at to these your great point about activists. tokenizing. Yeah, tokenizing. Literally, yeah. That's what that is. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, it's so subtle. And it, you feel like you're kind of losing your mind because you really thought you did something and then you didn't do anything. So it's like, it, it hurts a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, so that's what YAP is really all about. Like we're all about empowering young people who historically have actually been at the forefront of social movements and social change. Like it's typically like college students and now more than ever, especially with Gen Z, we're seeing how high schoolers can get involved with that. That's how I got involved with YAP. As someone who didn't think my voice mattered in society, I met an adult who was like, no, your voice actually does matter. And even before I was able to vote, I went to Capitol Hill every year through YAP, uh, lobbying for legislation to increase foreign aid funding for education. And in 2008, I was actually part of a groundswell of young people that raised the foreign aid budget to $200 million. So it's like, that's really, yes, right? Like, and obviously has been part of a lot of like legislative changes at the local level in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is where we're all from. And so like, we're all about building authentic youth power. Like if you're, you want to go out, you want to create change. Um, you then talk to people and to obviously's point, like you feel like you did a thing and they're like, nope, that was just lip service. You really thought you ate. <laughs> then, then we help you got. find then we, we help you find other pathways like so to be you know help help you build power help you build um champions who are adults who really do actually fundamentally believe in the change that young people can make that's really what yap is about um and then our other initiative mosaic which is what we're um building out with it uh with this organization called search for common ground which is the world's largest peace building organization I got connected with the folks at Search um, because they also were starting to understand how, or they actually did a lot of work in 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 the youth space in uh, in international context, and they have been seeing how youth organizing has really gone on another level with um, what happened um, after Parkland, um, what has been going on in the environmental space. Like now we really see high schoolers and even middle schoolers as a powerful force of organizing. So Search for Common Ground, um, their whole work is peace building, right? They have been seeing these divisions and polarization that's not just happening in the US, but happening all over the world, right? And so how can we make sure that we are popularizing um, this approach where people are not just talking past each other and not just, you know, being offended by a position that someone else has without really digging into why people think the way they do. And so Mosaic is all about equipping young activists with the skills and just another tool in the toolbox to um, turn your adversaries into allies and push for win-win solutions. And so um, we're going to talk a little bit more about what this podcast is about and how all of this kind of, how this podcast fits into our larger vision of Youth Activism Project and Mosaic in terms of 
building a democracy that actually works for people. And like anyone who's listening to this, who wants to be a part of making a better democracy, who wants to do something great with their lives, like this is really the podcast for you. So I'm going to go ahead and pass off to Mina, who can also tell a little bit about her experiences in activism and then a little bit more about how this podcast came to be. Yeah, so I, um, I, I grew up not like the most invested in activism as my fellow co-hosts are. Um, I was, you know, busy like singing show tunes in high school and like doing theater and stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it's always been something that has been I've been super passionate about and that I think is like extremely valuable. We were doing a bunch of uh, walkouts too, and I think. I was starting to do walkouts a lot uh, after Trump got elected. I know the Montgomery County area was like organizing a bunch of those. Um, definitely got in trouble with attendance for that, but it was it was really dope. I think that was like one of my favorite things about high school, honestly. Not like I know it's like oh we're skipping school, but it was like more than that. It was like going to the like capital and going downtown and like people on the street like cheering you on like they knew what we were fighting for they knew like what we wanted our voice to be heard about and they were like cheering us on tweeting about us and just giving us that like momentum to kind of like make us realize like oh yeah like our voices really do matter like i know there there's a lot of conversation about that even in like montgomery county where there's a lot of um youth activism because I believe a couple of young activists tried to take it to the state level of essentially like excusing students who participate in like um, civic engagement and like walkouts, marches, that sort of thing. But for a lot of my friends and I, like, and despite everything that's been said, like by these, by usually adults who try to dissuade against all of this, it's never just been about skipping. It's like we, we were literally like, we felt sick, like sitting in class and learning about trig knowing very well about the atrocities like that were committing that were being committed not only around us but in the very school that we were now sitting and learning about trig and like it just felt so surreal and i i felt like it was like the most supreme form of gaslighting because it was like no just like sit there pretend like nothing's wrong at all and you're fine um and you're not thinking about you know, the fact that, like, Trump was just elected into office and now the world seems like it's going to become the next Handmaid's Tale. Like, just sit there and be okay. And that just felt like, it just drove us insane. And it made us feel as though we were just, like, panicking over nothing when we actually did have every right to be scared. And it wasn't about, like, at least for us, like, it was not about, like, oh, we're skipping school. Like, it's, no, we we cannot be in school because it makes us, like, want to hurl. So, let's go out and see if we can change that sentiment and go back to enjoying school. No, yeah. I mean, I was actually lucky that my high school, they were really, they weren't like encouraging us to participate in the walkouts necessarily, but they were like, if your parents send us a note saying that you were at the walkout today, then it will be excused. Like that's what it was. And so, um, but I didn't do that because my parents were mad that I was at the walkout because they were like, that's dangerous. And they had a point. I mean, during the um, when the week after the Parkland shooting, uh, there was a walkout. I ended up going and there ended up being a bomb threat at my high school during the walkout. And I was like, and this is I'm like, this is why we're doing this. Like, this is why we're coming down to um, like 
protest outside of Congress because like we're scared of being in school. Like we're terrified. Literally, yeah. yeah. But exactly that. I digress. Um Yeah. But oh sorry, can I just <laughs> add one last thing? Yeah, I wanna add one thing too, but Opsy first. Yeah. <laughs> um just to that point about parents, I actually would love for us to get into that later. Just like parents' reactions to this, specifically immigrant parents, because I think the one thing that I really, really, really loved about my parents, and um, I think it went against, like, the whole stereotypical portrayal of, like, immigrant parents as, like, strict and, you know, only, they only care about your schoolwork and all of that. Um, What I really loved was how supportive they were of me attending marches and walkouts. It was never, like, a why are you going there? Like, how how are you going to make up the work you missed in class? It was just, I told them, and they were like, okay, just make sure you come back home. <laughs> like, because they also knew it got, it can get a bit, um, you know, concerning sometimes with like, in case there's any anti-protesters to whatever cause you're trying to um, advocate for. And I think that just really made my day because I remember like, you know, being an immigrant child growing up in these schools, at least in my schools that were predominantly white, there was a lot of things I couldn't participate in because of our culture, but like the one thing that I could was speaking up because that was something that we, it was like a a, a right that wasn't really um, given to people in our native country. And so being able to like actually use my voice here, I think that was like my parents kind of like their ode to um, partially their own country and then partially their own experiences and how they never really got that same opportunity and that just like it made me feel really happy because it felt like a generational curse was being broken instead of like you know perpetuated so yeah that just made my day sorry because you mentioned that and I was like I just want to like give the other perspective because I know some parents were like don't go out but then other parents were like no go out because we couldn't when we were your age and we know people in our country currently can't so yeah, just to like give both spectrum. Oh yeah, my issue was spectrum. that I just skipped school also on the side. So they were like, you're, you're just, you're just never, <laughs> never mind. But no, I mean, yeah, one thing about like, what's like really cool about like having immigrant parents is that they're, they're like inadvertently activists like in their home country too. Like our, our dad, literally. Was, like, our dad was like a victim of like police brutality in Bangladesh when he was a kid. Like he was like, like, he was, like, part of the Freedom Fighters movement. Yeah, and and so he thinks it's, like, pretty cool, like, when, yeah, like, he liked me going to the walkouts. He obviously, like, supported Anika and, like, in the 20 years of activism that she's been a part of. So, like, um, but, yeah, Anika, you look like you're going to say something. Uh, no, I wanted to say with the gun control issue, like, that's another. And also climate change. Like, these are issues that young people are at the forefront of because you're um, experiencing um you're you're you know what's in stake for you right like and I'm I'm a part of that too I'm not that old so like this is this I feel like there's like a call to action for like both millennials and gen z like we see what where our future is going and especially like you know the reason why like like I feel a big reason I mean there's so many reasons why we still have this um issue with guns even though the vast majority of americans agree on sensible gun control it's like not taking away guns we're just talking about sensible gun control that's it is because part of it is let's you know put it out there it's because a lot of politicians are funded by the nra and also because so many of these elected officials aren't in school like they don't can you guys talk a little because i remember growing up um and I, I, I was in middle school during the D.C. sniper crisis, and 
us going into cold blue and like that was terrifying but we did not have a culture of doing drills the way you guys did so can you can you both like I know like we weren't actually planning on really talking this much about the gun control issue but I do feel like it is such a good topic to talk about because people are I don't think adults recognize how terrifying it is for you all and so could you guys like talk a little bit more about that experience like growing up in high school or being being in high school in an era where you just had to do all these drills and where you're like parkland could happen at my school i mean i mean you said like in a bomb threat like what like i just i don't get it i don't get it yeah i mean i think the timing of this question is really ironic because um the school i go to um just had a lockdown in which it was suspected that an armed shooter was on campus i don't know if you guys heard about it um but essentially it was like september 14th like the, like the date is like ingrained in my head um but it was september 14th it was a half day and we were in um fifth period and i was with like my school newspaper and we were just working on stories and we did not imagine that our like story for the next day would be the fact that there was like this lockdown and i remember when our principal came over the um speaker he was like out of breath you could tell like already just within his first few words of like greeting us that he was um he was scared and when he went into the standard script for lockdowns which was like i mean i don't remember the wording but it was like you know get away close all doors like get away from windows da 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 um I remember I was like in a group of like my peers and people started moving fast. Like it was kind of insane because I remember for a second it felt like I was just watching everyone keep going and I was like still, like literally just still. And and then I finally like it finally hit it like hit me that no, this is like real. And because our school had never, at least in my time there, I had never experienced something like this. And I remember there was a kid sitting next to me who just wasn't getting up like it it was just not clicking and I think that I feel like that's the first um first like explanation of what kids go through when we're put in these situations is just disbelief like we are literally paralyzed and some of us just don't even move and I remember like telling him to like get up repeatedly like literally trying to push him up um and then all of us just running to the storage room um there was like sniffles already because people were like getting overwhelmed. Everyone was on their phone, you know, texting friends and family. Um, there, there was like I know our some of our the staff members that were there with us um, were like talking amongst themselves, like really scared because we were in the library and it's like in you always have to think about egg entrances and exits and like how you know open the area that you're in is and. I can't even imagine what they were going through because they had to like strategize in seconds and kids were like some kids weren't I think that was also an interesting point like just the response to the lockdown even among youth I feel like speaks volumes to what Gen Z has gone through because some kids were you know properly scared because it's a scary situation and then other kids were doing their math homework and working on college supplementals because this is just another day in the American public education system I mean just in America period um and I know for me personally I was texting my older sister and I just I couldn't take it seriously either I was just like joking around with her I was like just telling her like oh um if I don't come home tonight like just know I love you and that and like it just got into like some dark humor jokes and she was really angry at me because she was like how can you be saying this right now and I was like 
I just can't let myself go there emotionally. Um, and even after, like once the lockdown ended, it was found out there wasn't um, an actual shooter on campus. Um, there was like no gun found and all of that stuff. Even after some kids, like I, I personally, with my high functioning anxiety, I just went right back to work. And I know other students and staff members did not do that. And they were like still kind of shell-shocked and trying to recover. Um, so I would say it's a range of emotions, but overall it's still, I think the commonality between everyone and everyone's responses and everyone's experiences was a level of just like dehumanization because not only did you have to react to the situation and like actually be in the situation, like it's unfair that we have to even think about this, but then in the moments after it, you have to think about the fact that it that this isn't your last time and you still have to continue with life like which is kind of insane like we we weren't given a breather um and that's not to put the blame on anyone it's just just to simply say we weren't given a breather because people in this country are used to this and so it's like just keep it stepping cuz like what do you want us to do for you um and no like significant legislation was passed in the days after that like nothing significant happened um and it was just insane because I remember in the days after that, I directly thought back to the January 6th insurrection on the Capitol and how the one, like, it really, like, broke my heart, but then in a way also made me feel like I was part of something larger than myself, was when I was downstairs, I, like, remember this so vividly, I was, like, it was my dad and my older sister and I, and we were all, like, standing up, watching the TV, shell-shocked. But then as we saw, like, legislators rushing everywhere, I, I remember turning to my older sister and saying, now they know how it feels. Like, now they know how school shootings feel. And it was insane because, like, 10 minutes after I said that, I went on social media because it was like I needed to get out of my head. I couldn't think about that anymore, anymore. And I needed to see what, you know, my friends and family were also saying about the insurrection. And I ended up on social media where I saw a bunch of kids tweeting, now they know how it feels. And I was like, I can't. I, I can't believe that we're all connecting on this level, like, throughout the nation. Like, it was mind-blowing to me that we were all on that same brainwave. Like, I think that's just so heartbreaking. But then at the same time, it was, like, it made me feel, like, affirmed that I wasn't going crazy. And because my, like, they both, my older sister and dad turned to me and they were like, what is wrong with her? Like, is she good? Um, But no, it just made me feel affirmed that other people were also thinking that and I wasn't alone in my trauma and my PTSD and that just yeah that, that was just insane um but yeah I'll just leave it at that because I like rambled no yeah I totally understand how you feel I'm I mean luckily like I wasn't there during because like I said the bomb threat happened while I was at this walkout I don't know what happened I think someone was like playing um, someone might have been playing a prank or um or I, I'm not sure because I'm, I'm pretty sure a neighboring high school had a, a bomb threat at the same time as, as us as well. I do remember like some of my friends, they didn't go to the walkout and they stayed behind and they were talking about how it was like sheer, utter chaos and like that the school didn't even really know. Because I mean, yeah, we've had, um, you know, we've done like lockdown drills and like code reds and code blues like since kindergarten. I mean, we've like known the protocol since we were five years old, but like. Um, the bomb threat one, I think, really stumped um, the admin at my school because they're just like, okay, I guess we'll just send you to the football field. Just like send all 2,000 children to the football field. And 
so yeah like I my my memory on that is like really vague but I just remember because when I was done with the walkout I think school was still back in session but I was just like I'm not gonna go to rest of the school day because there, there, there was the, wa- the bomb threat so like I was like I'm not gonna go back to school if there was a bomb threat um and I met up with my friends and they were like yeah like one of them was like yeah I literally had a panic attack from just like how chaotic they were trying like like it was like trying to get organized because like it seemed like no one really knew what they were doing oh yeah oh yeah because yeah you were one of the neighboring high schools I think that this was my senior year so um well, no, my, the teacher, like, worked at your school. Oh. And she was like, this isn't my first, yeah, 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 because she was reacting to the lockdown, and she was like, obviously, this isn't my first rodeo. Like, yeah. I've done this before, and now that you're telling me this story, and the fact that she told me that story the same day on the lockdown I was telling you guys about is kind of insane. Yeah. Um, But I feel like we've talked about, that That took a wild turn. I didn't think we are going to be talking yeah. about. <laughs> I didn't think but that I... we would just all be so connected. Yeah. Well, I- a that and b like that's the whole i feel like that's the whole point of this podcast so like maybe amina like why don't you yeah do your spiel and then, yeah okay yeah let's let's yeah let's go into the podcast um it yeah I'm, i bet you're wondering why why we're talking about this in relation to a percy jackson podcast um so just just back to the origin story of this um it all started with me forcing anika to read the percy jackson series by rick riordan um, so this series is is like I grew up with this. I was I started reading when I was like seven or eight, and at that point, I think maybe the first three or four books were out, um, or maybe I don't. I I don't. I just know that I started reading it like in in time, um, somewhere in the middle of that first series. So I was like following it for about ten years. It feels like, um, and I felt that Anika, who is really passionate and adoring of young adult heroes and like fantasy and fiction um I thought it was kind of ridiculous that she has not read it yet so I was just like you have to read it yeah and um so a a little bit on like a little bit more on what really kind of compelled me to actually like sit down and read Percy Jackson I I feel like we wanted to avoid this in the first episode but I'm just gonna say it anyway I'd be like we're all also like huge Harry Potter fans. We just have we just have to. And um <laughs> And so that's where I mean I was like that's that's where she was coming from. Like, you know, if you love Harry Potter, you need to read Percy Jackson. And I think like I, I just felt by the time like I became hip to Percy Jackson, I just felt too old for it. But um uh, but I think what really convinced me was when, I mean, you sent me the blog post that um, Rick Riordan wrote after the casting of Leah Jeffries. That's her name, right? The actress um, who's supposed to be playing Annabeth in the Disney Plus series. Um, and I like remember reading the post and just being like, and um, Rick just basically being like, yeah, Anna, I wrote Annabeth as white. But I told people from the beginning um, that I did not, we were just going to audition the best people and we were going to, you know, conform with like Disney's diversity policy. And Leah happened to be the best Annabeth, like point blank. And so you guys need to accept it. And it's just so rare to see an author just like come out or just a creator um, who comes from, we look at, you know, he's a white man. Um, we 
the three of us on this podcast have very different experiences from white men. Um, and, and to see a white man just come out on the side of what we think is right, like was just, that was really inspiring to see. And he really like made point, made the point of, if you don't get why this is important, I don't know what books you've been reading because my books have always been about the power of diversity and strength in numbers and things like that. And that's where I was starting to make the connections with what he was talking about with what we were doing at Yap and Mosaic. Like we live in a democracy, right? And we all come from very different backgrounds. And I, speaking as someone from multiple marginalized backgrounds uh, who have experienced systemic oppression in a lot of ways, I feel like for speaking on behalf of like my communities, which are like very diverse of people I do work with, um, I feel like oftentimes we don't recognize like like people who we see as privileged um, and like we don't recognize their life experiences and how different it is from for them to see where we're coming from. So we all bring differences, right? Even people who have privilege uh, bring something to this democracy that's really important. And so so that's where I started making connections with um, the book and um, and just and, and 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 the activism work that we've been doing. And for the, I mean, I, I really wanted to do a Harry Potter podcast, but like, we're like, we could save that for later. Like, I think Percy Jackson is like, is really, I was really stuck on this idea of connecting activism to fantasy, like, because, and I'm so glad we had this long conversation. You guys shared these very vivid and visceral stories about um, about violence, about the threats of violence, real threats of violence in our community, and that you, those are that's a high stakes situation. And when we read fantasy, the reason why we're drawn to it when we're like watching Marvel movies or in, engaging in these types of stories, in in these types of fictional stories, we're engaging because they're high stakes situations. And I'm like, in our world, we have high stakes situations. So I thought like it would be a great way to kind of bring that point to life more so yeah what are your guys' thoughts yeah no agreed um I think I remember when you were telling me about this podcast and you got that I got so excited because I was like this is it like this is everything that Gen Z has been like posting about on social media like you know those posts that were like um stories like Divergent The Hunger Games all of that we all know that's what made us you know (laughs) become like the outspoken people we are like we're honestly just copying like not copying but like we're we were inspired by these other teens who spoke out against whatever establishment or injustice they were facing and it was funny because everyone is like every we just copied their personality like we don't really have our own personality as gen z but i think that that's definitely not true but it was just funny because um it used to be like a big joke that went around on social media. And when you brought, when you brought, finally brought it up, I was like, no, you're right. Like we should talk about that. Like seriously talk about it. Not just like this joke. Um, as funny as it is, it is real. Like it, it's, it is the truth. And I remember I got so excited because there's just so many series you could do this with. Like there's Harry Potter, there's Percy Jackson. Um, there's like the Hunger Games too. Even like, yeah, divergent and all of those stories and I think I think what's so interesting about it is that at least what's interesting about Percy Jackson specifically is like the element of youth that you really see here because Percy's I believe 12 when um the story starts the lightning thing right 12 yeah 
and that's like the time my advocacy started too like that that is like point blank where i think a lot of gen z's activism started if it didn't you know start in high school or something and it's such a great parallel um and it also has like more realistic components like not everyone was like harry potter in the sense that like we got dropped off at (laughs) our family's house and were orphans but like um with the way percy like still has his mom around um still has um you know this these experiences of going in and out of school um and struggling in school i think that too is key um because even like the point about parents like yeah no some people don't have parents in their like in their life like that but one thing that a lot of people do have that makes stories like percy jackson more um relatable is the fact that school is this place of a lot of emotions for us and as percy would like went through feelings of isolation because you know he was struggling with various things um a poor home life with his like abusive stepfather to um his dyslexia like those were very like real world issues that we could connect with on like a closer level compared to some of the other stories like not all of us were you know in districts like hunger games like (laughs) i just think percy jackson deserves it's like its own podcast (laughs) because it's um it's just relatable on so many more levels than the more like dystopian and or fantasy um books in this like genre of you know being non-conformist and like screwing over the establishment and whatever you want to call it but yeah no I'm really excited no obviously you literally stole the words out of my mouth like because I I was thinking like I don't know like planning this podcast like spending the last few weeks playing this podcast I'm like well why don't we like I'm just overthinking I'm like why didn't we talk more about like Hunger Games or Divergent but I'm like I mean I know first of all I mean first of all I wasn't even that connected to Hunger Games and Divergent as I was with Percy Jackson but it's it's just like you said like th- I feel like this is such a more digestible like activist story than Hunger Games or Divergent is because the worlds in that and in, in those um series like the novels they're not that translatable to our world today like Percy Jackson is really cool that I feel like that not even Harry Potter has is that it's so ingrained into like our world right it's like has like this this fantasy element but it also is taking it's intertwined with like modern with like modern civilization which like Harry Potter I mean they weren't even like involved in muggle affairs you know and yeah I was gonna say it's kind of like Marvel yeah in some ways and how yeah, accessible except, Marvel like, is. Marvel, we don't leave a city, you know, devastated no. after we claim we're saving we it. Try, so like, I think Marvel movies are so <laughs> overrated, but whatever. <laughs> um, so just quickly, yeah, I mean, I guess I want to ask you guys. I have a very clear vision, but I want to ask you guys, who, who do you feel like this podcast is really for? I think kids. Like, I think kids, like, when I was first reading this book, you know, specifically elementary school late elementary and like early middle school because I feel like as Opsy said like you know you said your activism started around like 12 years old the same age as like Percy and so I feel like that's just like a really great age to kind of start thinking about beyond books and like thinking about our world today too yeah no I would agree definitely children um and and I really do mean children like I just don't think it it has to be like teens Um, who may be familiar with this I think it could also be um, some of the younger folk like you know early middle school um, late elementary school that are just starting to get into these series like I would love for them 
to also hear about the real world examples that we're going to give of like teens um, and adult allies in our world today who parallel these characters in the justice that they try to pursue. Um, but then I was also going to say that I would really love parents to yeah. get into this. And my parents, you guys know I'm about to bring up my amazing immigrant parents and just like everyone else's immigrant parents because I feel like, and we talk about this all the time, like just with immigrant parents, how how heartbreaking it must be to be, you know, separated from quite literally everything you've grown up with. And a lot for a lot of these parents, they have grown up with memories of governments that did not you know give out the same freedoms and rights that you can find in countries like america and these books address that they if anything like a lot of these books are slightly different from like the youth in america today because the some of the characters had even less liberties that we did and our parents might be able to relate to that in a way that we can't and i always feel like just with like even when you think about like languages and literature i feel like books are and words are just the easiest way to connect to people and i hope that we can like kind of bridge that gap that some immigrant parents especially those who can't speak or read english well the gap that they may feel between them and literature because even like talking to my mom who was an avid reader before you know she came to america and was surrounded by english only um I feel like some of them have like lost a piece of their inner child because they are still getting accustomed to the English language. Um, and I would really love for this to be that like bridge that helps them get back to that um, while addressing whatever, you know, pain they and trauma they have of growing up without a lot of these liberties. Um, so yeah, it always goes back to immigrant parents for me. I love I, them. <laughs> I mean, I totally get it. Like we're totally there. I wanted to say like, I, for me, this podcast, yes, first and foremost, it's for like the readers of Percy Jackson, right? Like middle grade, even like late elementary school. Um, it, it Like for me, getting involved in activism in middle school was the best thing that I did because middle school is horrible. horrible. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> was horrible yeah no literally (laughs) so if this is like if you're a percy jackson fan if you want to become a percy jackson fan like please let this be your moment read the book with us like we're gonna go on our journey ourselves like we're gonna be reading the books and going through like percy and his friends journeys but we're gonna have our own journey and we just want to invite as many people as possible so like to opsy's point even stretching it out to parents um teachers teachers, yes like yeah and one thing i will lesson plans yeah like part like literally like we're on instagram we're on twitter and we're gonna set up an email which we need to set up and we'll let you guys know what that email is um but like collaborate with us on lesson plans one thing i will say is like we are not gonna shy away from tough conversations And I know that's like a tough topic for a lot of teachers working in certain school districts, but we're going to always provide balanced perspectives because that is what Mosaic is about. That is, it's all about um, having deep dialogues and really trying to find out solutions that work for everyone that aren't making people give up the most important things to them. And we're going to be exploring those kinds of themes through the theme of diversity and plurality and Percy Jackson and connecting that to the guests that we're going to invite. So um, literally it's for anyone, anyone who wants to do something great in their lives, who wants, who cares about our democracy, who cares about leadership. This is the podcast for you. It's going to be so much fun. 
And um, so, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and throw it back to Amina, who's going to talk a little bit more about the format. And then that's going to wrap up this first episode. And then we're going to dive into the first four chapters. Yeah. And obviously, we're going to be a PG podcast. So um, it's safe for all ears. A little voiceover moment because we decided to make some last-minute changes. Instead of releasing bi-weekly episodes with both a discussion and an interview, we are going to split those up so one week you'll get an episode about the books and the following week you'll get an activist interview. So, episodes will be released weekly alternating between book discussions and interviews. This way you get content every week and each episode isn't super long. Thanks! Um, yeah, get your book, read it with us. Like, that's oh yeah, be that's what... what I was gonna say. So, Anika has only gone like the first few chapters so um this is gonna be spoiler free right we're not gonna go into like big spoilers here um because anika has not read it and we're hoping that some of you guys haven't read it either but yeah start preparing each episode is gonna go um into chunks of the book so four chapters at a time and we're going to be um spending the first half of each episode analyzing the books from not only like a literary perspective but from an activist perspective as well so we're gonna be assessing themes characters ships too um you know all the stuff people talk about on book podcasts but we're also going to be discussing what it means to have a story and the the moment you feel called to a cause and how you can fight for a cause that affects you. In the episodes following book discussions, we'll be conducting interviews with real-world activists and connecting their stories with the themes that um, we're discussing in the books. Yeah, so our first interview is going to be with Zainabu Cham. She is an activist in the Youth Activism Project Network. She got started with us in the eighth grade and like she was just an absolute firecracker from the get-go she's a junior in high school now and has done a lot of incredible work um on police brutality in her community um has done a lot of mutual aid work a lot of um community engagement arts programs like she organized for uh campaigns for city council like she has a lot of amazing experience in activism and we have some pretty like nuanced like there's a I'm probably gonna refer to some of the themes that we, I discussed like there were a lot of connections between my interview and these first four chapters that I'm really excited to dig into the next episode um but yeah like Zaina and I some of the highlights from our interview is that we chatted about police brutality and like how even though that was an issue that she's really passionate about she also very much recognizes the importance of building relationships with police, which is not something you see a lot of people who are in abolitionist work. They don't really look at police as allies. So she's able to hold these sort of like competing, like sort of tendencies of a being very, very critical and very hurt by police brutality, but also building these relationships. So we'll dig into a little bit of that. We also talk about the Kanye controversy since we're both uh, big Kanye fans and there's a lot of fans of his music. Uh, I hope you mean. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Fans yeah, yeah. of his Wait, music. Is this the white lives matter shirt thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that's an episode we all need to hear. Yeah. So we tried to put the mosaic treatment to it where we're like, I know, I know, but like, we have to, we have to, we have to, because there are, and then, you know, Lauren Hill's daughter got involved and we make, she had a, so we'll, we'll go into all of that. We try, the point is, like I said earlier, we are digging into these tough conversations. These are conversations we need to have. And so 
listeners out there, please, in all of our modes of communication, like reach out to us, continue the dialogue. Like we want as many diverse opinions on these topics as possible. So yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening to the first episode of our podcast. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it despite all the little technical difficulties. But if you like what you heard, I hope you guys give us a follow on wherever you're listening to us from. And you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at The Unclaimed Pod for more content and to be in the know for when we release new episodes. So we hope you tune in next week for our interview with Zaina. Thank you.